Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do we have any disagreements with this side right here? Top four. Top four? You ever watch my highlights? Have you seen uh, all of them? I say best hands. He has best hands. So we'll be here next year, same time. Both of us. If you don't come back and say number one next year, you're not. No, you can't come. <laughs> you agree with this statement down here? DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver. If you don't, get the hell out of here. Let me see your hands, because I got big hands, and holy <laughs> you got big hands. Man, you got some, you're a quarterback. You know man. what they say about big hands, don't you? Big gloves. Yeah. <laughs> that was 2019 off season. <laughs> Didn't you get in trouble for that? Weren't you? We got a ticket without a, a permit. Filming without a permit. Yeah. Yes. Is it permit or permit? Uh, I think it's. I per- never know. I think it's permit. But either way, the park rangers came over. They're like, "What are you guys doing here?" And we're like, "We're filming a video with DeAndre Hopkins." And they're like, "Well, you're not allowed to do that." And. uh then they, yes, wrote us a ticket. We put them on camera. It was kind of funny because the park ranger was like, no, don't do that. But uh, nonetheless, happy for DeAndre Hopkins. As you can see there, a really awesome person, let alone awesome football player. So glad he got the big contract. Not as big of a contract as some would say. We're going to break that down coming up. A lot of fluff, a lot of BS in the reports yesterday, frankly. Hello, good morning. It's hey. a Wednesday. It's PFT Live, but we're going to call it like we see it, and we're going to call that coming up later in the program. We're one day away from football. DeAndre Hopkins' former team, the Texans, taking on the Chiefs come Thursday night on NBC. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern, and we are excited for that. We're on Peacock Live, Sirius XM 211. 7 p.m. tonight, local time on Sky Sports NFL Prime in time. Ireland. Hello. Hello if you're watching us now. It's 7 p.m. your time. We are doing something else entirely because as you're watching the show, we are uh, not doing the show because it's on tape. It would have been easier to It's 7 a.m. in the morning. Tape. That was, yes, Let's awkward, get to it. but well done. It's, <laughs> all I have to say is it's 7 a.m. That's, you know what, if we're on at 7 in... It's- 
in the UK and Ireland. And if we're on 7 a.m. in the East, because East Coast time is all that matters in the United States, just leave the Eastern time zone and you'll know that's the case. We just need to say it's 7. We don't have to say a.m. or p.m. It's just 7. From now on, it's 7. Hello, it's 7. And off we go with this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. And we'll talk about DeAndre Hopkins coming up, but some news last night, and we haven't dealt with a lot of this. Derwin James, the only major injury that knocked the guy out for the full season now in that same division. Denver Broncos holding their breath, fearing that Von Miller, the Super Bowl 50 MVP, possibly out for the year, likely out for the year, feared to be out for the year with a lower leg ankle uh, a lower leg injury, an ankle injury, a tendon injury. There isn't a lot of specificity. Anytime you hear lower leg and possibly out for the year, you think Achilles tendon. They haven't said that specifically yeah. yet. It's called a freak ankle injury that happened yesterday in practice. Ugh. And and this this is you know, this is that lightning strike that that can happen at any time, whether it's practice, whether it's game. You just never know. And we've been insulated from that because I think. The practices haven't been as intense as maybe they would otherwise be in past years in training camp because they're focused on getting guys in shape and keeping guys healthy and keeping guys ready. And we haven't had the cross-pollination with joint practices and preseason games. And now here we are, week one of intense preparations, and there's a freak injury in Von Miller. By all appearances and based on all reports done for the year, Chris, huge blow to a Denver defense that was counting on him to get back to form this year. Yeah, huge blow. Huge blow to all of us. I mean, come on. This is one of the the better defensive players in all of football. He's a superstar. He's a Hall of Famer. And as far as the Denver Broncos concerned, I mean, we were excited because we wanted to see what we thought had a chance to be one of the best pass rush duos in football between him and Bradley Chubb. We were cheated of that last year because Chubb got hurt before that, uh, before last season. So now here we are again with, you know, one less person, a part of the duo here. And it changes a lot of it changes the way I think about the Denver Broncos to a degree. You know, they have a young offense, a lot of new young parts, a lot, let alone it's a new offensive coordinator. And we know we had the pandemic and all of that. One of the mainstays of their football team was, hey, Vic Fangio was here. This is our second year in the system. Von Miller, you know, the three, four defense getting another year underneath his belt with that. And really, you know, maybe being able to rely on that defense if the offense is stubbing its toe a little bit early in the season because they're young and a Jerry Judy and a Drew Locke and a Noah Fant. Maybe they're not hitting on all cylinders in the Pat Shermer offense. So now this takes away a little bit of that like insurance factor of their defense. And uh, that's where it's a shame because uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Von Miller. Yeah, and you know, it really raises questions about his future. Next year yeah. is the last year of his contract. $17.5 million this year to not play. Not that it's his fault, but that's what the Broncos are going to be paying him. Next year, he's due to make $17.5 million. Final year of his contract. He'll turn 32 in March. So, And, and there's always been kind of what's, this vague sense that at some point the Broncos are going to decide it's time to move on from Vaughn Miller yeah. before he gets to the end of his contract. Well, there aren't many more chances for them to decide it because next year's it. They're going to move him next year, or they're going to keep him, or possibly find a way to extend him. But he's going to be 32. Yeah. And after this injury, you're going to have questions and concerns about when he's going to be 100 percent again. What's the dead money, Mike, for next year? Does that you got that in front of you right there as you're looking at it? He is dealing with uh, not a lot of dead money. He's got about 8.45 million in prior bonus money that he's yet to hit the cap. So it's 4.225 this year, 4.225 next year. Right. Not nearly the kind of crippling 
dead money that you would see with other guys early in a contract. Usually when you get to the back years of the contract, there's nothing left. He did a, a restructuring of some of his bonus money a couple of years back, and this is still that overflow from that. Otherwise, you'd have none right now. Right. And there would be no cap consequence of moving on. The question is, do you want to pay him $17.5 million next year, or or do you want to find someone who would take him? Do you want? Does he want a fresh start? Is this kind of a weird way to you know deal with latter years of his Broncos career? And does this make him want to to begin again with a new team? But but it, it raises a lot of questions, short term and long term, for the Denver Broncos. And this is at a time when Bradley Chubb is back. Yeah, but is he really back? Right. right? He's less than a year removed from a torn ACL, and they say it usually takes at least a full year to even begin to get back to normal. And now he's the guy, and I don't know that he's ready to be the guy. No, I I, I hear you. You're right. Uh, you know, any you know, you're right. That's the saying. You know, with a, it's usually your second season. Off of an ACL injury, where a player comes back and goes, "Okay, I feel a hundred percent." I doubt that Bradley Chubb feels a hundred percent right now. Hopefully, he can get to that point, you know, at some point halfway through the season, wherever that is. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't expect him to be a dominant force as far as off the edge right away to start the year. I mean, that's what was great about the combo. Von Miller, who I think had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder with the way things kind of unfolded last year, it was less than up to Von Miller's standards or his bar there. Um, So, yeah, Mike. And then you look at the guys that are behind Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. It's not necessarily the greatest group of guys there, too, where you're going to feel comfortable about, like, okay, they'll they'll be fine. You know, Shaquille Barrett's there. That's they had him at one point right before he went to Tampa Bay. They'll be okay. They'll be able to make it. You know, there is no guy that jumps out on their roster like that to me. And uh, that's where it's disheartening, Mike. And and, you know, as far as you're talking about, this could be it for Vaughn. I mean, you're right with Denver. I never really thought about it. But the severity of this ankle injury, I think, will go a long way to see where where the future lies for this, because if it's an Achilles tendon, uh, that that would scare me that, yeah, it's going to be a little while before he's back to 100%, and maybe they do move on and, and find a new home for Von Miller. And we've seen it before. Once you tear one Achilles tendon, and I think it's medically proven, you become more likely to tear the other one, yeah. whether it's compensation, whether it's just genetics. It's happened to one. It's going to happen to the other one eventually. But you really have to get to a point where you ask yourself, from the financial investment that's being made in Von Miller – uh, is it worth it? And and that's something that every team does all the time with every player on the roster. You tear the name off the back of the jersey. You disregard who it is. You make that cold, dispassionate decision because that's the way NFL football teams and really every major league sports team is run. They're interchangeable parts. Even though kickers and punters are the most interchangeable, they're all inevitably going to be gone. So you always have a plan for replacing them, either because of injury or they want out or you want them out or they've gotten to the point where they're too old to contribute to at, at the level their pay would suggest. They're all going to be gone. So you have to have a plan. And John Elway, the GM of that team, and you know, he, he hey, one of his first drafts, I think maybe his very first draft with the team, he got Vaughn Miller. Yeah, I think it Great. was. Right. But, but here we are nine years later. How much longer can this dance last? And it could be that yesterday's injury is the thing that really pushes it toward Miller ending his career somewhere else. And there's been that consternation in the past. There have been, I think at the end of the 2019 season, or 2018, there was yeah, a weird vibe right. about Von Miller and, and the Broncos and how long is this going to last. He's been bracing for it. From the moment he signed that long-term contract that he had to fight for, I think that taught him what a business it really is. And he understood at some point, 
the team's got the power to say, we're just going to rip up this contract and see you later. And, and uh, you know, if you brace for that long enough, you eventually just get to the point where you want it to happen and get it over with. Yeah, well, uh, of course. I mean, well, yes, to a degree. But I, I do think that Denver's a special place for a guy like Von Miller. You know, like you said, they drafted him, what, the number two pick in the draft coming out of Texas A&M. Of course, he's had some special seasons individually, let alone was a part of a really special season in that Super Bowl year where you could argue he was one of the best defensive players in football. One thing you can argue is he was the best defensive player in the playoffs that year, whether it was intercepting Tom Brady or sacking him all day in that AFC championship game out there in Denver, or then, you know, spearheading the charge for a defense that almost single-handedly won the Super Bowl that year. I mean, it wasn't the offense, that's for sure. And he was a big part of that, getting the strip sack fumbles and, and causing all that havoc back there. So this is a Hall of Fame type player. I don't think you can part ways with a guy like this easily. And I don't know, Mike, he might have made enough money and feel comfortable enough there where maybe it's something, one of those things where he looks at it after this year, it gives them a home count discount. I think Von Miller's that type of guy to where he might not hold their feet over the fire and be comfortable just in his niche in Denver and go, okay, this is where I was drafted. This is where it's going to end. That's the kind of comment that got you a side eye. Yeah, from, from Dak, Dak Prescott. Prescott. So <laughs> no. Be careful projecting that <laughs> that attitude you have for the hometown discount onto others. They may not agree with you. And the bottom line is, if he if he's healthy, he's still one of the best pass rushers in in football history. And it wasn't that long ago; it was before last season, where Peter King did the math about what it would take to catch Bruce Smith for the all-time sack record, and Von Miller was on pace. Well, last year was disappointing. There it is. There's the Dak Prescott side eye. The, the the pace has been disrupted dramatically for Von Miller between yeah. last year, which was very disappointing in Vic Fangio's first year as the head coach, and now this year, nothing. So it's it really raises questions about his future, what he wants as a football player, what the Broncos want. And maybe the Broncos are just going to say, screw it, we're shifting to offense. Defense doesn't matter in the AFC West because you ain't stopping the Chiefs anyway. Let's put our resources in trying to outscore them, and it's going to be arena football in the AFC West if you want to be successful moving forward. So instead of paying Von Miller $17.5 million next year, they can either spend that on someone else or bank it on, uh, you know, Guys like Drew Locke will be eligible for a new contract after next year. And think of that 17.5. I just it just flashed in my brain. Next year there's a chance the salary cap will only be 175 million. Right. That's 10% of the cap going to Vaughn Miller. Yeah. At a time no when way. you're not sure whether or not he's going to be healthy and effective. They're, they're not going to do it. No, I don't think The more we talk so. about it, the more convinced I am they're yeah. not going to do no, it. No, you're right. The, the more you hear, you start to hear these facts of the matter and all of this, I, I, I agree with you. Now, it, it will depend on the extent of this injury, and we'll see how severe it is. Um, but I'm scary. And when they say a freak injury, too, you know, yeah, the first thing my mind went to is, wait, Achilles – or some sort of like dislocated ankle where it, you know, maybe ripped up a tendon or something like that. Uh, either way, it's not a good look, especially for a guy where his living is flying around the edge with 300 pound, you know, people on his back as he carries them around the edge trying to sack a quarterback. You need your lower legs and, of course, need great strength there. And, and this is the reality that we're now in. It was the Teddy Bridgewater freak injury during a practice a week or so before week one of the regular season in 2016. 
and this is just part of what we have to brace for, whether it's games, whether it's practices. We're back in that mode now. We were lucky, and players were lucky through much of training camp that it didn't happen, maybe because it wasn't as intense as it could have been. But now the question is, are the bodies ready, and are they going to hold up when the intensity increases? And it's going to get very intense starting tomorrow night when the Texans play the Chiefs. We mentioned DeAndre Hopkins used to play for the Texans. He's now a Cardinal. One of the reasons he's a Cardinal is because the Texans didn't want to give him what he wanted financially. He wanted a new contract even though he had three years remaining on the big money deal that he previously received. Texans didn't want to do it. Cardinals knew going in in March that they'd have to and yesterday they did. Now this is where it got very confusing yesterday. Not confusing I just think indicative of the difference between new money and total value with signing. And this is one of the best examples of a phenomenon we talk about from time to time. People tend to glaze over, so we're going to try to do it this time in a way that keeps them from glazing over. You've got three years left on a contract. When, whenever someone gets an extension, and in this case it's a two-year extension, there isn't a new two-year contract that gets stapled onto the back end of the three-year contract you already have. So you finish those three years, and oh, look, I'm starting on my two-year extension. No, that's not how it works. They rip up the three years that remain, and they do a new five-year contract. That's always the case. It's never an extra contract that gets added to the old contract. It's always a new contract. And in this case, when you have three years left, and you only get two more years, you know, usually it's you have one year left, and you get five more years. Yeah. So it it makes sense to pay attention to those five years, not the one that you have left. In this case, you still got the majority of the old deal from a duration standpoint that's left. And I think that's the way we need to look at DeAndre Hopkins. Because what a difference, Chris. When you look at two years, $54.5 million, well, that's $27.25 million per year. That makes him the highest paid non-quarterback in NFL history. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at the five-year contract, it's in line with Amari Cooper. In fact, it's less total value than Amari Cooper if you look at a fresh five-year contract that he's getting as he walks through the door as a member of the Cardinals. So that's the difference here. And you're going to hear superlatives on one end, and on the other end, you're going to hear reality. And reality is it's a five-year deal worth about $18 million. Maybe it's four years, 1975. There's a voidable year. We don't know the trigger yet to, to make that fifth year go away. But it's not Julio Jones. It's not the greatest contract ever given to any player who isn't a quarterback. It just isn't. It may look that way at first glance, but when you look at it more closely, it's not. It's still what he wanted, and the Texans weren't going to give it to him, but it's not as tremendous as some are making it out to be. Yeah, I I hear you, Mike. Well, first off, I mean, you know, way to go, Arizona Cardinals. You you trade trade for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, well, yes, don't wait. You know this is on the horizon, and he's going to be a big part of your offense. Get out in front of it. Get it done now. Especially in this offense with Kyler Murray, I think we're all expo- expecting him to explode a little bit. I'd be a little scared of a guy like DeAndre Hopkins maybe leading the league in receptions this year, then commanding more money next year. So uh, good for them on that part. As far as DeAndre Hopkins is concerned, really good for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know him a little bit. He's a great guy, tough as hell, good teammate, and I think the thing that I respect about DeAndre Hopkins and, and just knowing him a little bit I don't think he gives a damn about some of all that other stuff. You know, that's what I think is cool about. I think he's got a little bit of a, a lunch pail workman like attitude to him where, you know, it's not about like, hey, I got to puff out my chest and I got to be the top 
paid wide receiver in football, you know, for a year or five months, or uh, I have to hit a certain number to justify where I am. No, he obviously wanted more money. He wasn't looking to just absolutely crush the Arizona Cardinals that way. He is a team player. I think he realizes he needs a team around him and wants to build something there. And from that standpoint, I give him credit and I give Arizona both credit for, for getting this done and now squashing it. And now you don't have to worry about it or talk about it anymore. Whether it's five years, 94 million in comparison to Amari Cooper's five years, 100 million or four years, 79 million, which is just under 20 million per year average, 42 million guaranteed at signing for Hopkins versus 40 million guaranteed at signing for Cooper. You give me those two contracts. I'm taking Hopkins 100 out of 100 times. Yeah. Right. Because right. it's relatively similar financial investment, and Hopkins, I think, is dramatically better than Cooper, don't you? I do. I, I mean, yes. Uh, that, that's where I look at this and look at DeAndre Hopkins in a lot of ways and go, like, well, you know, what a cool guy. Because he certainly could have sat there and commanded, no, I, I deserve more money per year than Amari Cooper. From what I've done, for what I'm still doing, whatever that may be, I stay, I'm healthy, I play on the field all the time. Those are questions about Amari Cooper, you know, about Amari Cooper. So, yeah, I'm with you all the way there. I, I think uh, DeAndre Hopkins is better than Amari Cooper, yes. And, and see, the other side of it is the Cardinals just could have said, you're under contract for three more years, play for us or play for no one, but they've given up a second-round pick and David Johnson to get him. Not that they wanted to keep David Johnson. It actually benefited the Cardinals to unload his $10 million salary. But having those three years left made it easier for the Cardinals to pay him less on that total five years or four years, however it shakes out. He also got a commitment that there won't be a franchise tag used on the back end. Now, five years from now, I don't know that he'd fall into that group of players that there would be there a would, land rush for when right. they come to free agency because he's going to be five years older. Yeah. But, uh, but still, it, you know, it, it, it's a, it's what he wanted. The Texans weren't going to give it to him. That's why the Texans traded him. And I, I think that even when you look at this deal comparable financially to what Amari Cooper got, the Texans position would still be, yeah, we knew that's what it would have taken. We just, we just, we didn't want to do it for no. whatever reason. Right. Whether they want Deshaun Watson to diversify the offense and not constantly look for DeAndre Hopkins, or whether there was some stuff behind the scenes that maybe the Texans didn't like and didn't see a long-term future between Hopkins and and the, the organization. Yeah. Right. Friction right. between Hopkins and Bill O'Brien. Which should seem there's we seen, there's rumors we seen there. Talk right. about that. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's been rumors about that. Definitely. And I think between that and, you know, then Billy O'Brien and the Texans realizing that he wanted more money and that was going to be, you know, something that was going to have to be talked about or dealt with. Yeah, they decided, OK, hey, maybe it would be better if we went wide receiver by committee and expanded our offense that way. And we can't have the highest paid left tackle in football, the highest paid quarterback in football, and then one of the two or three highest paid receivers in football too. That would be very hard to build a football team that way. And, uh, you know, really, you can you can have two out of the three, but three out of the three could really handcuff you there and, and, and make some problems for your roster. And you will hear people say that DeAndre Hopkins negotiated the deal himself. I just want to be, you know, uh, accurate factually. Here's what happened with this trend of players negotiating their own contracts. Russell Okung initially negotiated a contract by himself and got destroyed by the Denver Broncos. Richard Sherman negotiated a contract by himself, and even though he's still a member of the 49ers and he's been making the money that he was promised, it was not the kind of deal that protected him the way it should have. It was not a good deal. That is generally accepted. Since then, Okung, 
He got help behind the scenes when he negotiated his deals on his own. And there's there's a belief in league circles that the same folks who helped Okung helped Hopkins behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And I don't know why they're being so secretive about it, but that's the reality. And so a lot of these guys, when you hear they represented themselves, they really didn't. They yeah. just used a different model than hiring an agent and giving the agent 1%, 2%. I think the maximum fee is still 3% yes, of is. the total value of the contract. Because for whatever reason, guys don't understand, if you give the agent a small percentage of the pie – there's a chance that agent is going to get you a much larger pie where 97% of it is still more than 100% of what you're going to get on your own or with some advisors lurking in the background. Guys still don't understand that. No, they I just don't want to give up that 1%, 2 or 3%, Chris. Yeah, no, you're right. They don't. I think a lot of the guys look at some of these contracts and think, you know, they write themselves. There's a few little wrinkles in it that I might not need to be aware of, but other than that, you know, a contract's a contract. And as we know, it's, it's not. There is. There's a lot of nuance to it. Agents are agents because they're good at it. They're good deal makers. They know how to protect their clients. I will say this, you know, with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and this type of deal, it seemed a little easier maybe than other ones we've seen that you have to work out, at least, as far as that's concerned. And you know, the other what do you mean? It took six months. Well, okay. I mean, it's a new team. He just got there. I don't know how, like, did they jump right into it? When did the real serious conversation start? Okay, but either way. Well, remember, remember he was missing practices? And yes, was he was the holding, he was holding in. in. Right, yeah. right. So I just, I don't know when it got serious, but you're right. We knew this was yeah. coming. But my, my, other, my other point was, it's kind of cool that he wanted to do this because he has front office aspirations, which... I'm never going to, you know, fault a guy for trying to expand his horizons and and get a look underneath the hood to see, okay, let me get a little experience. How do you do this? How are deals made? How do these conversations go on between GMs, players, and agents? Uh, so I respect him for that at least. Let, let me just say this before we move on. Yeah. And I don't want to go too next-level conspiracy theory, but, but c consider two realities. One, teams would love it if guys represent themselves. Definitely. They would love it. They want guys to represent themselves. They want guys to be emboldened to represent themselves because they know that if players represent themselves, they're going to be able to set the price. They're going to be able to talk the players into doing what they want the players to do. They're more likely to win at the bargaining table if the players don't have a traditional agent. And secondly, and, and this is the next level mini conspiracy, when you look at which media entities are hyping this deal the most as this tremendous deal – Look at the connections from that entity back to the league, and it's it is the league. Yeah. So that that's my that's my Wednesday morning conspiracy theory. You can put that in your center square on your bingo card. All right, Kareem Hunt can put some money in his pocket. A couple of years after it looked like his career was permanently derailed after that incident that emerged on video in Ohio from the offseason and he lied to the Chiefs and they cut him and remember that just like out of the blue it was right around Thanksgiving he's gone he's done it's over and after the season the Browns took a chance on him and now he gets a new two-year deal worth 13.25 million that's big money for a running back at a time when they got to be thinking about paying Nick Chubb after this season yeah so look right. great great redemption story for Kareem Hunt it makes me wonder what the hell they're planning for Nick Chubb after this season because there's only so much money to go around. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, the, they don't have to dive into the Nick Chubb thing this year, but you're right. He'll be able to pull the Ezekiel Elliott, you know, maybe Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara type card next year. 
uh, to where he can go, hey, I'm one of the five best running backs in football. I want more money. You know, and again, Kareem Hunt's a, a next level running back. He is. He's got talent to be in that conversation for one of the 10 best in the game. I mean, we saw that already. We know that. And I also think it's a smart move by the Cleveland Browns because why? Hey, Kevin Stefanski's there. He just came from a place with two really good running backs. His offense, and I think this team is going to be based on their ability to run the football. So he doesn't want the team to go down the, you know, you know, the, the, the crapper per se. All right. When their star running back goes down and we just go, oh, damn, now the offense isn't the same. You know, they wanted their Alexander Madison to their Dalvin Cook. I think that's what they're looking at more than anything. And then Kareem Hunt will also have a big role, I think, in passing situations like he did in Kansas City where he was special. So they got out in front of this. Kareem Hunt's never made any money. You dangle this in front of him, he'll take it because it has been a crazy career for him to this point. And uh, I get it from, from, from where the Cleveland Browns are standing, that's for sure. The question becomes how much money can you invest in one yeah, position, position yeah. especially when you're paying good money to two receivers. I remember back when Larry Fitzgerald was due for his second contract, the Cardinals had to move on from Anquan Bolden because we can't give big money to two receivers. There's only so much money to go around. Now you've got two receivers in Cleveland who are making good money, and now you're going to have two running backs eventually. And, 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 of course, that's a problem for another day, but – if Nick Chubb behaves the way that he should, which is once a great running back gets three years in, draw a line in the sand to get your second contract, the Browns are going to have a problem next year yeah. with a salary cap that may be as low as $175 million. The good news is they got like $35 million in cap space, so they can play this game a little bit. They can pay Kareem Hunt and pay Nick Chubb. The problem is if they ever become consistently good – that's when they're going to have a line out the door of guys who want contracts, and before you know it, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. Yeah, they will. You're, you're exactly right. And um, we'll see when that time comes. But nonetheless, if they bought themselves time, even if Nick Chubb does hold out of next year, hey, all right, Nick Chubb, you want to hold out? We got Kareem Hunt. We're okay. Like, so it gives them a little leverage there, I think, in that discussion too, to be like, you want to hold out? Our offensive line kind of looked good last year. The offense started to click. Nick Chubb might take your job, take away some of your thunder. Uh, you know, maybe that was part of their thinking, too, to where uh, it, it gives a little less stable ground for a guy like Chubb. Saints and Alvin Kamara is still working on a new contract. Man. And at one point when we were talking about where he would land, Chris, you, you and I suggested and agreed that right between Joe Mixon's 12 and Christian McCaffrey's $16 million per year would make sense. And my understanding is that that's kind of what the target is, $14 million a year, five-year extension, six-year deal, but the five new years worth $14 million each, a $70 million extension. They just haven't finished it yet. And I feel like we're getting closer and closer to the day that you got to get it done because today's the first day of serious, intense practice in advance of Sunday's game against the Buccaneers. So you're going to throw Alvin Kamara into the fray without his new contract and Von Miller just had a freak injury last night. You may you may have a knee problem if you're Alvin Kamara and not be able to practice today. So we're bumping up against it if they're going to get this thing done. And remember last week there was that cryptic quote from Sean Payton that made it sound like they were prepared at some level for Alvin Kamara to not play week one if they don't get this deal done. Right. Well, I, I, I hope that's not the case. But, yes, if I'm Alvin Kamara today – and we have an intense practice, um, I might say, no, I'm going to sit this one out until I sign the deal. Or if I am going to practice, you maybe go over to Sean Payton and just go, hey, I'll do some individual drills. You know, one thing 
that I think they both can be confident is Alvin Kamara knows the offense and Sean Payton and Drew Brees can be confident that Alvin Kamara knows to run all the right routes, make the right reads. He's about as good as it gets at that position for that offense too. So they won't be like, oh no, he missed a Wednesday practice. We're screwed. He's not hitting on all cylinders. But yeah, it's getting dangerously close. You're right to where if this goes into the weekend and it's not done, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I mean, if I'm Alvin Kamara, maybe I don't play football this weekend until it's done. Yeah, and uh, that that is is I think something that that Peyton hinted at last week. We'll you, see. You think because we're getting close to hope, 14 though? 14 million? You think it's going to be around I, there? Th- that yeah. that's that's the target. And and you know the the justification is that. He is like McCaffrey in that he's a hybrid runner and receiver, and great receivers get more money than great running backs in the NFL nowadays. But still, with McCaffrey at 16 and considering the extent to which they use McCaffrey, Kamara at 14, that's a a lot, and maybe – Maybe the end result is they're going to use him more. Well, it's like Maybe you if, said. If the yeah. Saints, if the Saints say we're going to give this guy fourteen million a year, fine, Alvin. We're, we're not, we're not giving you a break. We're not giving you a breather. We're going to burn this candle at both ends as brightly as we possibly can. Well, yeah, they'll be paying more per touch than Christian McCaffrey. You know, than the Carolina Panthers will be paying. But what did we come to last week? We had this conversation. Carolina uh, McCaffrey touched the ball somewhere what a hundred and fifty something times more than Kamara. Yes. Right. Yeah. So. I would think that he becomes a true workhorse when you pay him that type of money. And I just can't help to wonder again, does like the Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, you know, their contracts, are they affecting this conversation between the Saints and Kamara? Because Kamara, because when you look at Derrick Henry at 12-5 and then it's Ezekiel Elliott at 15 million as far as, you know, those guys with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson squeezed in between, uh, I just wonder if he'd had that leverage if they weren't making so much money as well. I think the challenge is for the team and look at all the long-term deals that the teams have regretted in recent years for running backs. And that's the problem. You know, you have to do it. And then when you do it a year later, you're thinking, why the hell did I do it? For the most part, that's the reaction to these big money running back contracts. And the Saints obviously trying to avoid that outcome. All right. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott said that ownership will support anyone protests within the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones was finally asked about it yesterday, and he said a lot of words about it, including a word that is not a Simsism. Obstreperous. Sims, you're going to learn a new word that's actually a word in the English language when PFT Live continues right after this. One of the big questions as the 2020 season approaches, what happens Sunday night when the Cowboys and the Rams play in the new stadium in Inglewood, specifically during the national anthem. It looked a couple of weeks ago like Jerry Jones, the owner of the team, trying to thread the needle in a way that would give players a way to protest without protesting during the national anthem. It's been vague since then. Yesterday I had a chance to talk to Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott, and among the questions I asked him, what will Cowboys players be doing during the national anthem come Sunday night? I think we're going to have guys knowing that we're going to have guys standing. uh, And uh, the biggest thing is that, you know, we're all supporting each other. Um, we're all supporting each other, and uh, that's what's going to bring us all together is love and and uh, our love for each other and our love for humanity and um, just all together. And you've gotten that message loud and clear from ownership that it's okay if guys kneel because it feels like there was an effort to maybe thread the needle to get guys to find a different way to protest. Um, no, I think we're good. Uh, I think everyone in the locker room feels 
that you know we're gonna get support from ownership, uh, from coaching staff, you know, and from from each other. And um, I think everyone is is gonna be able to you know feel free to to express themselves however they they choose to. Chris, what's unusual about this to me, last week we got some hints from guys like Dak Prescott and Tyrone Crawford that this is the way the wind was blowing, but ownership still hasn't come out with that clear, unequivocal, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, forget about everything we said before, we're not trying to thread any needles, we're going to completely and totally and unconditionally, unequivocally respect the ability of the players to do whatever they want. They're dancing around it. We're going to hear from Jerry Jones in a second. Yeah, let me hear But isn't that odd that the way the truth has come out hasn't been kind of, you know, pulling the sheet off of the Rocky statue. It's just been more of a gradual, casual reveal where the sheet's still over the statue and the wind's blowing and you can kind of see what's going on, but nobody's come out and really said with clarity this is what's happening until yesterday. Well, I I think, you know, Mike, I don't know. You tell me. My my just, like, two cents on that would be – I don't think Jerry Jones wants to make headlines with some big statement, right? Uh, that would probably He always I, wants to make headlines. I know, that's what's shocking about this. You're right. Usually we get a state of the union address by Jerry Jones and he goes, "This is where the Cowboys stand and this is what we're going to do." But this is a sensitive issue. And we know Jerry Jones cares about his African American players, his black players. I'm sure he's had enough of these guys whether it's past players or guys on the team right now. And, of course, he's compassionate to know what's going on in the world right now to where, hey, yeah, he wa- I'm sure he'd like the team to stand, but I- I'm sure he has a soft spot in his heart for what that community is going through right now as well. And I think he's probably just trying to let it play out Sunday. Okay, there's going to be guys that kneel, and he'll deal with the firestorm you know, at his next prong, uh, press conference and deal with it that way instead of, you know, making a headline now on Wednesday and having a buildup and a fight in the Dallas Morning News where everybody's going, oh, the Cowboys are going to kneel. They're not going to kneel. What's going to go on? Jerry Jones. So maybe he just doesn't want to hear that crap, and I don't blame him. I think it's twofold. One is the political reaction, specifically the tweets from the commander-in-chief sure. or members of his family, and there was one recently from one of the president's sons based upon what the Cowboys will be doing. The other thing, too, is Jerry Jones, I believe, is a firm subscriber to the notion that the customer is always right. And the more right that you make the customer think the customer is, the easier it is to pick the customer's pocket. I mean, that's the reality. If the customer's happy, the customer is going to shower you with the customer's cash. Yeah. And And he was on 105.3 The Fan yesterday, and he did address the issue, and he acknowledged that he wants his players to realize a majority of the fans will be upset. The customer will not be right when it comes to this, but here's what Jerry Jones also said about the team's plan moving forward. I certainly want players, and they have the the motivation uh, to, if you will, uh, not use uh, the sideline or use the, that part of the game, the national anthem, not use that to get people's attention because that's already been got. Everybody understands the issues. Everybody does. I want everybody to understand that if uh, any player uh, that is standing out there has a serious, 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 uh, awareness of the kind of activity there is there 
and uh, they ask for help and with that in mind and so that if they're there to say uh, uh, in a way that you would ask for help it's not good to uh, uh, be uh, uh, uh or anything if you are asking people to uh, see it uh, through your eyes and see it in your way it's important to show the kind of grace everybody where i stand uh, everybody's got a good feel for where uh, the country is on this matter. Uh, I would expect the Cowboys to show, uh, I'm going to use the word, grace, sensitivity. However they do, I hope the fans will receive it in a way that uh, is a genuine ask for help. Because uh, our, our, right now in our society, we've got some things that uh, we do need to address, and I want the Cowboys to uh, be a part of that. I still think he's trying to thread the needle. He's just trying to thread a different needle. Now what he's trying to do is basically say to your players, I only want you to do this if you truly feel that you personally have a need for help that drives you to break from what I would prefer that you do, which is stand at all times. And to any fans in the stands who may not like the fact that we have players who are taking a knee and asking for help, you need to understand they're not trying to disrespect anyone. They're merely asking for help. Help. We'll see if that works. Now, yeah. if there's no fans in the stands on Sunday night when they play uh, the Rams in L.A., but there will be fans the following weekend when they host the Falcons. But that's what he's trying to do now. He's trying to get the players to understand it's a last resort and trying to get the fans to understand that that it's nothing disrespectful to anyone but simply that cry for help that the player feels compelled to make. I don't know that it's going to fly, but right. that's my interpretation. No, I'm, I'm, I actually have the same interpretation. You're right. He's trying to kind of ease both sides into this because he's not sure where it's going to go. Now, there's going to be, I, I would imagine, a number of players who, yes, are going to kneel because they feel like it has hit, you know, the needle has hit red on the danger meter. Like, okay. I mean, how many times do we have to see the same damn story and, and the same issues? So I think there are guys that are personally hurt by what's going on in our country, and they're going to kneel. And, yeah, I think Jerry Jones is is trying to let his players know there's going to be consequences, and you're certainly here in Texas, and people are going to be mad at you if you kneel for the flag. And he's at the same time trying to talk to the fan base and going, hey, fan base, you know, you know where I stand unequivocally. I want the guys to stand, you know, but – I'm also going to show grace and compassion for my players, and I hope you would join me in that and seeing this and that it's more about not just, you know, disrespect to the flag. I think that's what he's trying to do, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not mad at him for it. I'm really not. I mean, at least he's trying to pull two sides together. I mean, nobody else in our country is. So uh, in, in some ways, I kind of like it. I, I, I don't know. Am I weird for that? Well, but, but I don't think you have to work so hard to try to pull two sides together because the problem is the two sides aren't going to be pulled together. If, if telling people that kneeling during the national anthem is not intended as a disrespect for anyone, that it is aimed at drawing attention to broader societal issues, it's not a slap at the military, a slap at the flag, a slap at the country, and they don't see that, how are they going to see that, oh, it's a cry for help, so that makes it okay? You've got that segment that has it hardwired into their brains that no matter what anyone says to justify it, it's still disrespectful to take a knee during the national anthem, Yeah. period. And no amount of talking or fancy words from Jerry Jones like obstreperous is going to make them see it any differently, Chris. No, well, you know, and, you know, quite honestly, 
those are the those are the people that the players aren't going to care about. They're not. So they're going to kneel. Well, the players never have cared. No, you're right. They never cared. But when you lay it's it out owners. like that, when you lay it out yeah. like that and you start to say it that way, then they just go, okay, but those those people are never going to be in this fight with us, so they're going to kneel and just say the hell with it. I mean, th th that's really what it comes down to, and we're going to see that on Sunday night. There's going to be a faction of guys that kneel. Here's what it really comes down to, because there will be a faction of guys that kneel, and there will be blowback over it. And there will be blowback over the names that are going to be prominently and conspicuously displayed on the bumper pad at the back of the helmet. Once we see those close-ups during games and you see George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Jacob Blake, there will be reaction to that. What will the NFL do this time when they come after the players and they come after the league? Because they're not just coming after the league. When there's a tweet from the president or one of his family members or his supporters get up in arms, it's not just directed at the league. It's directed at the individual players who are exercising their right to make their voices heard. And Peter King asked Roger Goodell about this. We didn't talk to Peter about it yesterday, but it's in Football Morning in America, and I wrote something about it. He asked the commissioner, what, what are you going to do when, yeah. when you get hit with a two-by-four over this? And the commissioner said, oh, I think that's a hypothetical. I'm not sure that's okay. Come on. Of course that's what's going to happen. You got to have a plan for it. You're consciously walking into a minefield. There will be explosions. What is your plan for dealing with them? And Chris, my hope is this. Instead of Jerry Jones talking for three minutes and using big words and trying to navigate the minefield, right? Why not just be ready to engage? If they're going to come after us, we're standing up to them. Because that's how you truly have your players' backs. Silently tolerating what your players are doing is not truly supporting your players. Standing up for your players when they're attacked from the outside, that is supporting your players, and that is what the NFL needs to do. Well, we're going to see where the NFL stands on that because it's inevitable, and it's coming. And they've had a lot of talk, and so far I believe their talk that they're going to support the players and make a stand and do the right thing here, no matter who's tweeting at them or whatever it may be. Now, I don't know if Jerry Jones is going to be that guy. It doesn't seem like that. It seems like he's very warm and cozy with Donald Trump, so I don't think he's ever going to do that. But I think the rest of the NFL... How do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you, look, we're, uh, uh, stop being political, but how do you reconcile that? When the president is continuously badgering the NFL over players protesting, how do you reconcile supporting player protests with supporting the guy who's badgering the NFL over players protesting? How do you reconcile that I, I, one? Listen, there's so many things I can say right now, Mike, but, 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 but I'm but not going to say but that's, it. It's, I know. It's, but, but here's the point. Uh, strip aside the politics. Yeah. This is a basic business dilemma. There's a person I support who doesn't support what my players are doing, but I support what my players are doing. How do I – it's – I mean, it's a basic challenge of logic, and there's no logical way to satisfy both ends of that. No, there's and not. And that's why you, you can't ride the fence on this. You have to eventually pick a side. And what Jerry Jones is trying to do – you know, what's that thing, that balance beam during gymnastics, that skinny? He's trying to walk the balance beam. As, yeah. It's called the beam. Right. He's trying to he's trying to walk the beam as long as he possibly can. And it's not going to work because eventually the players are going to say, it's not enough to just look the other way while we protest and bite your lip and brace for the reaction. 
You need to stand up for us when somebody bullies us over this. You need to stand up for us when people criticize us over this. You just can't go run and hide like you did three years ago, which is what the NFL collectively did three years ago. They ran and they hid when the crap hit the fan. Yeah, well, the crap will hit the fan if they do that again. I do. I think the players will be pissed and they're going to revolt and I don't know where it would go if the NFL isn't supportive this time around. So I would be very scared of that. What? The the minefield is more concentrated this time. Yeah. And there's and there's there's all different sorts of minds. And if you step the wrong way on this, what you're going to have is what happened in the NBA. And you're going to have players say, "We're, we're yeah, taking maybe this week we don't off. play." Yeah, right. If you if don't, the owners if you don't, don't support, truly right. support us. Right. If you if if People are going to come after us and call us names, and they're going to be all riled up into action by the president or someone who is connected to him. And you sit back and say nothing this time, it's going to get worse, not better. And, and look, I'm not trying to stir up trouble here. I'm just trying to anticipate where the dominoes are falling. And the NFL needs to have a plan for what's coming because no plan is not an acceptable plan for what is coming because you have to envision that it's coming and you have to be ready for it and you better support your players or you're going to have a bigger problem than having the president sending out nasty tweets at two in the morning. Yeah, no, I agree with you totally, Mike. And you're right. At some point where we're going to have to deal with this, I think it's going to come, you know, we're going to be talking about this Monday morning. If I, in my crystal ball, if I had to like, look at the way the world's going, you know, segment one, we're going to talk about the games. Segment two is going to be, Wait, the backlash, the tweets, all the things about guys kneeling on Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, this is not going away, especially in election year. And you're right, Mike. The owners better, you know, hold strong here. Support the players. Do what's right. I'll see your Monday morning and I'll raise you a Friday morning. A Friday. Because yeah. both, both days we're going to be talking about it because the game starts Thursday night. And we're going to see those names on the back of the helmets. We're going to see Bill O'Brien. He's going to he kneel. still feels the way he did a couple of weeks ago, right. he's kneeling during the anthem. Right. And see, so many of the things that only the hardcore football fans have been paying attention to are going to explode onto TV screens across the country, and casual fans are going to be jarred by it because they haven't been paying attention. Yeah. That, and it's coming, folks. It's coming. We, no. I, we and a guy like Bill O'Brien do it is going to send shockwaves, which is great because Bill O'Brien is a man's man, an American working man, self-made and for, like, again, it goes back into, like, the white quarterback, white coach conversation. When those guys start to kneel, uh, I think that can have a tremendous effect on anybody watching it and in our whole country. And there'll be backlash, and we'll see what the league and the owners do about it this time around. Will they stand up and fight back on behalf of the players and coaches like Bill O'Brien, or will they find a bed to crawl under and wait until it all goes away? All right, we're going to take a break. Derek Carr doesn't care what the hell you say or think, unless, of course, he does. The latest verbal eruption from Mount Carr when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! 
And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. I think it's, with, it's, it's the people that just really just, you know, without lack of a better term, just don't know what's going on. Um, you know, what, what we accomplished, what we're able to do has been pretty awesome and some some pretty fun circumstances i'll say it in, in a fun way um mm. and uh you know it, it just is what it is i just i'm i'm just tired of the talk you know i'm just ready to play and uh i'm excited to take you know my group of guys and go and do this thing and and like i said you know you know people can keep saying all they want i think i've grown to a place in my life where i just don't care anymore you know i've always been a people pleaser um, I've always tried to, you know, appease everybody, but those days are dead and gone. You know, I'm here, uh, no disrespect to anybody, but I'm not, I'm not here to be anybody's friend. I got enough of those, you know, and being politically correct, although I do thank you, Adam only gave me six votes, you know, so yeah, I think that, uh, I think, I think it's time to just go out and play football and not care about the other stuff. <laughs> And if he keeps telling that's him that enough, he'll eventually believe it. I, I don't. Oh, I just yeah. don't believe it. I believe he's very thin-skinned, and 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 people are like, why do you hate Derek Carr? It's like I don't hate Derek Carr. I just think it's stunning that a guy who is in the middle of that storm on every given play, the storm that you've lived through, where you have so many real things to worry about, that that guy gets caught up in so many things that he shouldn't get caught up in. How are yeah. you ever going to perform at the level you should on a football field when you're that sensitive about stuff that? is being said by people that you should be ignoring, not blocking on Twitter because they said something mean about you. Yeah, that's right. You got to block that crap out. You can't let it get personal. And, you know, as a quarterback in the NFL, you also got to remember sometimes, and I don't mean this as a disrespect, some of these people that are asking you questions, they don't know what the hell's going on anyway. So why are you taking it personal? I used to sit there in front of my locker after a game in Tampa and knowing that, Maybe an Ira Kaufman, right? You know Ira. He might have said something about how I played. Okay, great. I don't think I played that great either. So he's probably right. And okay, yeah, he's also clueless on this matter. He didn't, but so what? Who cares? He doesn't know what really went on. You know, so don't take it so personal that way. It's part of the business. It's part of the reason why you're making $25 million because people are writing articles about you and there's always fanfare and media coverage and everything about it. So I'm hoping Derek Carr can become this person that, you know, you and I wish him to be, which is thick-skinned. Hey, screw John Gruden. Come off the field this year on a third down and give him the middle finger and say, shut the hell up. Nobody was open. That was a stupid call. And I've seen inklings of it this year. Just the way he's talking yesterday in that Mad Dog interview, and there's been a few other clips this year where I at least feel like he's not putting on, like, the smile and like, hey, I want you guys to like me, media guys. I feel like this year he sat down in the chair a few times when I've seen him and he's just he answers the question. He's polite, but he's he's not trying to like, 
you know, what do I want to say, Mike? Be charismatic with them and try to get them to buy in. He's just – it seems like he's going to let the play do the talking, and I hope that's the case. Well, and, and what John Gruden seems to want from his quarterbacks, he wants them to be that John Wayne character, that leader, that guy with the swagger, right? Definitely. That guy, That guy who is a butthole. I almost said the other word, and I still don't understand that. You can say the first half of the word. You can say whole as long as there's a break between them, but you can't mash them together for some reason. Maybe we're evolving there. I don't want to be the one to break that ground. But that's what I think is is going on with John Gruden. He wants his quarterbacks to be badass. Definitely. And he wants them to not take any crap, not listen to any crap, and not be sensitive. Don't be sensitive. You can't be sensitive and be a successful John Gruden quarterback. Right? Jared Goff. Uh, he uh, he was candid about what happened last year. Although he got paid very well with a new contract, he said that last season punched him in the face. And look, with Todd Gurley not effective, with Cooper Cup uh, and, and Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks not hitting on the same level that maybe we had in the past, with the team just on a downward movement, yeah, look, it's, it is going to be a, a slap in the face coming off of a Super Bowl year. But Chris and, you know, Jared Goff's going to have to step up and earn that contract this year. We're going to start having real questions about how much longer he's going to be the guy in L.A. Yeah, well, he's going to be under the microscope. When you get paid that type of money and you know you've been in a Super Bowl, there's things that are expected of you to, to be a quarterback of that type of team and franchise. So last year, yeah, we saw the support system not be as good. And it really affected Jared Goff to where I think you and I and other guys watching in the NBC room on Sunday started to go, ooh, I don't think he's the type of talent that can carry your team through a tough time. You know, that's what I've always argued. So we'll see where that goes. The Rams are an interesting team. They do have some good players around him. That offensive line should be better. Did McVay reinvent himself too? That was part of the problem as well. Became a little predictable. So I'm excited to see what he's got and if he can answer the bell this year without Todd Gurley and, and in this new McVay offense. He's all in on having three running backs, kind of like what the 49ers worked right? perfection last year. Full hour, PFT Live, still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.